0: Hello! Can you believe it? It is the end of the Old Testament for our Facebook studies. How about that? Here it is. The middle of October, and we are just now going to be making that transition in the next few days in our daily Bible reading, from Old Testament to New Testament. It's an exciting thing, isn't it? And if you've been reading through the Bible this year, it, whether you're following E. Smith's The Daily Bible in chronological order, which is what we have been studying and using in these Facebook studies, or if you're on some other plan to read through the Bible, well done. Uh, when you talk about a chronological study versus a uh, the way the Bible is actually ordered from Genesis to Revelation, um, it doesn't always stay together, but it is going to be together uh, over the next few days as we Uh, Once the Old Testament is finished and then beginning uh, the New Testament, we won't have much, but we do know that they both end about the same time because that's how you do that. So it's exciting to know. And if you have been staying with it so far, well done. If you haven't, that's okay. Remember, read today's reading first, and that's what you want to do. We'll be discussing some of those things today that show up in these final days of the Old Testament Uh, starting on the 15th of October. Uh, The 14th is the last day of reading in the Old Testament, and that's tomorrow. Uh, The 15th will be the first of three days of readings on the intertestamentary period, the time in between the Old Testament and the New Testament, what they call the silent 400 years, which historically was anything but silent. And so we'll be looking at that, as I've said Uh, over the past several weeks from time to time. That is a very exciting study, and uh, Eflagard Smith and his The Daily Bible does a really good job, I think, summarizing those uh, years and those few days of readings. And then on October the 18th, we will start in the New Testament. That's when you start reading in the New Testament. That's next Tuesday. And next Tuesday's class, we'll actually look at those days of the time between the Testaments, the Old and New, and look at that study, and then uh, starting next Thursday we will be looking at uh, New Testament studies in this Facebook series. So again, glad to have you, glad to have you along. Uh, Today we're going to be looking at several different things from uh, the end of the Old Testament chronologically, which means we've already studied Malachi so we won't be looking at Malachi, but we're looking at the end of the uh, time of the return from exile and uh, the closing out of the book, uh, reading the historical books of Ezra and Nehemiah, uh, reading from them today, and I want to begin with this great passage this great verse in Ezra. Take a minute to find Ezra. (laughs) Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther are all right there together after the historical books of Samuel, Kings, and Chronicles, and before you get into Job and Psalms. So Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther, this verse is Ezra 7 verse 10. And it is a great statement. I love this statement so much. We'll begin and end with it today. As we consider these words that are used to describe Ezra and all of the work that he did in bringing about the reformation of uh, the Jewish life and worship for the exiles uh, in Jerusalem and in what had once been the kingdom of Judah. Ezra 7 verse 10, for Ezra had, had devoted himself to the study and observance of the law of the Lord and to teaching its decrees and laws in Israel. Uh, Why did he make such good progress? Why was he so faithful? Because of those things. First of all, he had devoted himself, but devoted himself to what? To three things. Devoted himself to the study of God's word, to obeying God's word, and then to teaching God's word. If those three things could be said about all of us, what a great world this would be. Uh, What a powerful witness the church would be. If every member of God's church, God's family, his people, did what is described of Ezra here, devoting ourselves to studying God's word, to obeying it in our own lives, and also to teaching it to others. What a great, great summary of the life of Ezra the priest, this man who was so pivotal in the life of God's people, At the end of the recovery from the exile and the return and the rebuilding, not just of the temple, not just of the walls, as we have already seen those under the leadership of Zerubbabel and Nehemiah, but specifically the worship and life and faithfulness of the Jews. Ezra speaks to that, as does Nehemiah so keep that verse in mind if you're looking for a mission statement verse or for a verse that summarizes what you want to do and be in your life and your walk with god ezra 7:10 is a great one devoting yourself to the study of god's word to obeying god's word and to teaching god's word to others what a great great statement as we continue on in the book of ezra we have read some from these chapters Uh, When you get to chapters 9 and 10, Ezra uh, focuses on uh, talking to his people about uh, intermarriage, about marrying outside of the people of uh, the Jews, the descendants of Abraham. It was something strictly forbidden according to the law, and it was something that was part of the downfall of God's people in the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. And so there's a lot of warnings about that and a lot of messages about that. And then Ezra offers this prayer to God, and it's an incredibly beautiful prayer. In Ezra chapter 9, we've seen several prayers of note, such as uh, from Hezekiah and uh, from uh, Nehemiah last time. This time we're reading it from Ezra, and this is what he prayed. He fell on his knees In Ezra chapter 9, verse 3, with his hand spread out to the Lord and prayed. Ezra 9, starting in verse 6. I am too ashamed and disgraced, my God, to lift up my face to you, because our sins are higher than our heads and our guilt has reached to the heavens. From the days of our ancestors until now, our guilt has been great because of our sins We and our kings and our priests have been subjected to the sword and captivity, to pillage and humiliation at the hand of foreign kings as it is today. Notice that Ezra doesn't make any excuses. He doesn't blame God. He doesn't blame the pagan Assyrians or Babylonians, but rather he blames himself and his people, that this is what God had warned them would happen, and yet they fell into sin anyway. And then notice, starting in verse 8 of Ezra 9, But now, for a brief moment, the Lord our God has been gracious in leaving us a remnant and giving us a firm place in his sanctuary. And so our God gives light to our eyes and a little relief in our bondage, this return from exile and rebuilding uh, of their lives in Jerusalem. Though we are slaves, our God has not forsaken us in our bondage. He has shown us kindness in the sight of the kings of Persia, starting with Cyrus. He has granted us new life to rebuild the house of our God and repair its ruins, and he has given us a wall of protection in Judah and Jerusalem. Speaking of the work that Nehemiah uh, had led the people to do. Ezra 9 verse 10, But now, our God, what can we say after this? For we have forsaken the commands you gave through your servants the prophets, when you said, the land you are entering to possess is a land polluted by the corruption of its peoples. By their detestable practices, they have filled it with their impurity from one end to the other. Therefore, do not give your daughters in marriage to their sons or take their daughters for your sons. Do not seek a treaty of friendship with them at any time that you may be strong and eat the good things of the land and leave it to your children as an everlasting inheritance never was that meant to just purify the race of the jews but rather it was meant uh, to prolong the line from abraham isaac and jacob to whom the promises had been given that a messiah would come but also because god wanted them to remain pure in their lives and in their worship verse 13 what has happened to us is a result of our evil deeds and our great guilt and yet our god you have punished us less than our sins deserved and have given us a remnant like this what a great statement from ezra lord you you could have treated us far worse you could have punished us far more and yet you gave us less than what our sins deserve verse 14 shall we then break your commands again and intermarry with the peoples who commit such detestable practices would you not be angry enough with us to destroy us leaving us no remnant or survivor. Lord, the God of Israel, you are righteous. We are left this day as a remnant. Here we are before you in our guilt, though because of it, not one of us can stand in your presence. And yet Ezra took this to the Lord and to the people. And in the chapters that follow, they are able to uh, repent of their sins and to seek to purify uh, the people and everything that they uh, are going through well we keep reading turn a few pages uh, to Nehemiah now we get back to Nehemiah we looked at his work rebuilding the lo- the walls uh, this past Tuesday today we're looking at his work that he does along with Ezra uh, to reform the people in their life and worship um, so in Nehemiah chapter 8 beginning in verse 1 The Israelites had settled in their towns. All the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, or scribe, uh, he was a priest, actually, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. Remember back uh, not very long ago, we were reading about King Josiah in Jerusalem and how they were doing... uh, Uh, repair and renovations on the temple and they found the book of the law and Josiah had it read and had the people mourn and then began to carry out great reforms himself though he was very young we see something very similar although it's not been found it wasn't lost um, the people are going to hear the word of God once again um Uh, Nehemiah 8, verse 4, Ezra, the teacher of the law, stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. Beside him on his right stood Mattathiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Messiah. And on his left were Padiah, Mishael, Malkijah, Hashem, Hashbadan, Zechariah, and Meshulam. He had a high platform. Remember, it was long before the days of a good audio system. And so we're going to read how they handled it. Nehemiah 8, verse 5, Ezra opened the book. Such a sacred moment. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The Levites, and then their names are mentioned in verse 7, the Levites instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. They were translating it. They were uh, sharing it. They were explaining it. It was a great moment. Verse 9, Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and teacher of the law, and the Levites, who were instructing the people, said to them all, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Uh, What a great statement. They were repenting and sorrowful and weeping and mourning, and that's a good response when you're in sin and you come to realize it after hearing the words of God. But Ezra and Nehemiah said, no, 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 let's let's not go there today. Today, this is a day of great joy. Today, we are opening the book of the law and reading it. Um, What a great way to do that and to bring the people to know the joy of the Lord, which the law speaks of as well. Verse 10, Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send, send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. We sing songs about that statement. We've read it in the Psalms as well. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Verse 11, the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for this is a holy day. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food and to celebrate with great joy because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. Uh, What a great day of celebration and joy and feasting uh, because they had read the book of the law and they had also had their leaders, uh, the Levites, Nehemiah, Ezra, others, explain it to them. So now it had become real to them. And interestingly enough, in verse 13, it says this, On the second day of the month, Nehemiah eight thirteen, the heads of all the families, along with the priests and the Levites, gathered around Ezra the teacher to give attention to the words of the law. They found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded through Moses, that the Israelites were to live in temporary shelters during the festival of the seventh month, and that they should proclaim this word and spread it throughout their towns and in Jerusalem. The Feast of the Tabernacles that is my that causes them to remember that time when Moses and the Israelites were forced to live in temporary dwellings, even the tabernacle, the place where the Ark of the Covenant and the presence of God lived, uh, was in a temporary shelter, a temporary shelter called the tabernacle. And so now they're reading through the book of the law, and they realize, oh, wait, we're supposed to be celebrating this feast, this feast of the tabernacles. And so they do. They do exactly that. Verses 17 and 18 of Nehemiah 8. The whole company that had returned from exile built temporary shelters and lived in them. From the days of Joshua, son of Nun, until that day, the Israelites had not celebrated it like this and their joy was very great. Day after day, from the first day to the last, Ezra read from the book of the law of God. They celebrated the festival for seven days, and on the eighth day, in accordance with the regulation, there was an assembly. Uh, Nobody had experienced that through all of the time of the judges, through all of the time of the United Kingdom under Saul, David, and Solomon, through all of the kings of Israel and Judah until now. They were celebrating it like it had never been celebrated before, this Feast of the Tabernacles. Something similarly was said of Josiah as he celebrated the Passover uh, after having found the book of the law. We see that same enthusiasm and blessing here as well. In the next chapter, in Nehemiah 9, uh, starting in verse 5, we read this. Uh, The Levites said, Stand up and praise the Lord your God, who is from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name, and may it be exalted above all blessing and praise. You alone are the Lord. You made the heavens, even the highest heavens, and all their starry host, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. You give life to everything, and the multitudes of heaven worship you. And the words continue in Nehemiah chapter 9, this great, incredible time of studying God's Word, hearing it read and talked about and discussed and explained, and then obeyed as they uh, remembered that teaching of the Feast of the Tabernacles, and now experiencing with great joy, praising God uh, because of the blessings that God had given. Um, Such an incredible, incredible time. And then we read, and uh, some of our reading took us then to 1 Chronicles. 1 Chronicles, at the very beginning, talks about the history of the Jews and gives a bunch of information, a lot of genealogical records. And that I, I understand that that reading is kind of drudgery a little bit for some of us. But, you know, when I read those passages, I may not read them word for word, but I will read them in a summary fashion, and I'll look for key parts uh, key statements, key names. And so we read about that line that went in the book of Genesis. In First Chronicles chapter 1, we read about that line from Adam to Abraham and how Abraham was called, and then about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And Jacob's son Judah, who would be the son through whom the kings would come and ultimately the king of kings himself. And so the line of Judah is given us in 1 Chronicles chapters 2 through 4. And if you remember several years ago, there was a very popular book out called The Prayer of Jabez. And it was, it was uh, very popular. And uh, that prayer is a wonderful prayer. It's found in 1 Chronicles chapter 4, uh, verse 10. And in that prayer, this mysterious man by the name of Jabez Um calls on God to bless him with exceeding blessings and to keep him from evil so that he would not bring harm. And he calls on God to use him to do much, much good. Well, that's a, that's a descendant of Judah. Uh, that's someone that is obviously uh, a very faithful man and sought God's blessing and did it in a way that sounds unselfish. And that wants to make an impact for others. It's a great prayer uh, to read. First Chronicles chapter 4, verse 10. In 1 Chronicles 3, we find that list of the kings of Judah, the southern kingdom. Uh, and then it continues on into the exile, the time when they were in Babylon and then returned. And Zerubbabel is listed there. Zerubbabel, remember, was the one who led them to rebuild the temple, uh, was uh pretty much the governor at the time when the Israelites returned and were there trying to rebuild the temple and rebuild in Jerusalem. Uh, Zerubbabel was in the line of Christ, was a great leader of um, the people of Judah when they returned. Uh, Some other interesting things in this part about the descendants of Judah, we read about Uh, Perez, who was a son of Judah, but not through one of his wives, but through Tamar. And they end up listed in the line of Christ and mentioned in Matthew chapter 1. Caleb, the son of Jephunneh. There are a couple of Calebs listed in these historical records. One of them is of the tribe of Judah, and that is Caleb, the contemporary with Joshua, who is one of the two faithful spies along with Joshua who came back and told Moses, hey, with God's help, we can do this. Uh, David, of course, King David is in the line of Judah and ultimately is called to be king and his line is the one that remains for all time because even when Judah was carried off into exile, uh, that historical line continued and ultimately we find him having that descendant that was prophesied uh, long, long ago and even during the time of King David and others, when God said, I will bring about my my descendant of yours who will be the king uh, who will reign forever and for eternal eternity. And that, of course, is our Savior, Jesus. Uh, lots of fun things. In this, even in this historical thing, again, it's very interesting to me. Um, other sons of Jacob are mentioned in First Chronicles 4 through 8. Remember, he had 12 sons. One of them was Judah, but one of them was Levi. And it was Levi through whom the uh, caretakers of the tabernacle would come because of Levi's uh, faithfulness. And that's why he was called to do that and his descendants. And then one of his descendants, Aaron, was called in the time of Moses. Aaron, Moses' brother, was called to be the high priest. And then all of those who would be descended from Aaron. Uh, so they're descendants of Levi, but not all the Levites are descendants of Aaron. Aaron and his descendants would be the priests, and they would have choose the high priest uh, from that that one who would be that oldest living descendant in the line of uh, the priests. We read about that in 1 Chronicles 6, and those priests, those high priests, starting with Aaron, are listed. We read about King Saul, who was of the tribe of Benjamin. Also the Apostle Paul was of the tribe of Benjamin. In First Chronicles 8, we read about King Saul and his issues and his line of history. Uh, uh, the exile records are listed in First Chronicles chapter 9, and so we get a, a chance to look at the ones who came back from exile. And then in chapter 5, we uh, come, or not in chapter 5, but then we come to the end of the Old Testament. Uh, and, and that is the record. Uh, uh, it ends chronologically uh, with this line in and, and F. Lagarde Smith's uh, study, at any rate, uh, with this recording of all these records of those who led the people of God through the centuries and now who have come back from Babylonian captivity and have resettled and have rebuilt and have reformed their worship and their religion and are now there in um, in, in, the kingdom of Judah in what had been the kingdom of Judah. Uh, as I said, on Tuesday, we'll look at that exciting story of all that happens Uh, In uh, those 400 years or so from the time of the end of the Old Testament, the last words we get out of these exiles, and the beginning of the New Testament, that time when uh, we read about John the Baptist and Jesus uh, and their births and then their ministries and the life and death and resurrection of our Savior uh, Jesus Christ. Uh, We'll get to that next Thursday. Uh, But I do want us to end again with these words uh, from Ezra chapter 7. Again, this is such a wonderful and incredible statement of how we should all live our lives. Ezra 7 verse 10. For Ezra had devoted himself to the study and observance of the law of the Lord and to teaching its decrees and laws in Israel. That's my prayer for you today as we end this study of the Old Testament, that you would be one like Ezra, who was devoted to the Word of God, to studying that Word, to obeying it in your own life, and to teaching it to others. I look forward to sharing our lesson with you on Tuesday. Have a great weekend.